but we knew that we had created it for this one patch. The biggest cheats just went completely offline and most of the small ones too. During that patch, player reports for cheating went way up. So like in a world where we would have rounded the amount of cheating to zero, players disagreed. Wow. Players thought that there was more cheating. And that was the first moment where I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a technical problem. Welcome to Building Better Games. Today, we're talking about cheating. In nearly every game ever made, players have found ways to break the rules and seek an advantage. For multiplayer experience, their gain is often everyone else's loss. Games can literally fail because so many people are cheating that no one wants to play. Today, we'll talk with Paul Chamberlain. Paul is a game developer and anti-cheat expert with a history of combating cheating all over game development, including Riot and Epic Games. We'll dive into when to start caring about cheating during development, what you can do to combat cheating in your environment, and why is there all this cheating anyway? Thanks for tuning in, let's hit it. So Paul, welcome. Anything you wanna add to that or hit for an introduction? No, it's a a good intro to just expand a little bit. I was the head of anti-cheat at Epic Games for Fortnite. And before that, I was the head of anti-cheat for Valorant at Riot Games. So lots of experience with competitive games and the people who try to get an unfair advantage. I want to touch on briefly the the motivation, like why is it that people cheat? And I understand that this is not limited to video games, but let's pretend it is for now. There are the, the people who just want to win and just think cheats are another way to help them win. There's the people who just want some control over their lives. And like, if that means burning down the game experience for you by you know, killing everyone, or even without cheats, running down mid. There's those people. And then there's perhaps the saddest group, which is the, I've been wronged, and this is the only way I can right that wrong. And sometimes that's fighting fire with fire. Other times it's, you nerfed my favorite champion, or, hey, the matchmaker keeps putting me with people who are bad, and I'm good, and they're bad, and that's just not fair. And so, like, however, like, these motivations often need to be attacked separately. For example, the people who just want to watch the world burn are often the easiest to catch because they're the ones who are doing it most blatantly. They're using spin bots that are just glitching out their characters to avoid bullets. They're using a heavy machine gun while running and headshotting people across the map. They're the people who manage to kill half the Battle Royale lobby before they land on the island. Mm -hmm. And you're like, oh, we'll get those out of here. The most insidious are the ones who are just playing to win and they're just like, hey, cheating is how I win because they will dial their cheats down if they have to. They'll be like, well, I can't win if I'm banned. Yep. So I'm going to get just enough advantage out of my cheats to avoid being banned so I can win because avoiding the anti-cheat is just part of the game too. Yeah, Those are the ones that undermine trust because it gets to the point where you can't necessarily easily tell the difference between someone who has a very mild wall hack running and someone who doesn't in high-level plays. Like, oh, they just got good game sense or are they cheating? Yeah. And if that kind of thought flourishes in your community, then it's going to undermine trust even if no one's cheating. So, Paul, if I came to you and was like, I want no cheating, right? Like, I 
I am a game company. I'm the developer. This is a competitive experience. It must be clean. I want no cheating. Okay, go ahead and make that happen, Paul. Thank you. I'm so glad you're good at your job. Okay, so if you want zero cheating, literally zero cheating, don't release the video game. Don't turn the servers on. <laughs> don't release the video game. If you want almost no cheating, like basically zero, we'll get as close as we can, but you want to actually release the game because, you know, I get it. I like video games too. <laughs> Look, make it as expensive as possible. $10,000, let's say. Make them come to your headquarters with their $10,000 and you uh, take a bunch of biometrics from them. And then only let them play on your campus. Like you have the room where they play the video game and they go sit there. <laughs> and okay, so, you know, obviously that is not commercially viable. But if you're talking about a mass market competitive experience, then obviously you want as many players as possible. So charging anything at all for your game might be out of the question. So it's really a, a sliding scale of like, hey, games that are free to play and very accessible are more likely to have more cheaters because if your account gets banned, you just make a new account. I didn't cost you anything, whatever. But all the way to this is an impossible to get game you'll get fewer cheaters. But again, it, it really comes down to just what are your product goals? And like part of the, the frustrating part if you're on the product side is you don't really know what your options are. Because like it's totally reasonable to ask for zero cheating. You're like, I don't want cheating in my game. And like it's sad when someone like me says, I don't think that's possible. But it's also hard to articulate what the breakpoints are. You say, hey, you want low amounts of cheating. Like, we want to not have egregious cheating in this game. And you're like, okay, well then we'll do a quick check to make sure that there's no obvious exploits like I can make myself invulnerable and we'll maybe install something like easy anti-cheat and we'll make sure that we have for our leaderboards, we keep track of all the game records so we can be like, oh, that person's suspiciously high on the leaderboard. How many games do they play? How many times do they win? What's their favorite gun? And you're like, oh, that might be fine. But if you're like, no, we want to be industry leading, that might be, hey, we need to spin up a team of 15 engineers and another 15 operations people, and they're going to spend mm -hmm. the entire development cycle of this game making anti-cheat technology for this game. Yep. And obviously, that's a huge expense. That's like a whole other game team for a lot of studios. Yeah, And you just kind of have to like figure out what your game calls for. Like if this is a we decide to do nothing and in the future we decide to do something and that's fine, then yeah, you shouldn't prioritize anti-cheat if you, you think you can do it later. But it'll come down to your product again. Like one of the reasons Valorant went so hard on anti-cheat was because this initial trust was uh, super important to this kind of game and that if they got a reputation of having lots of cheaters, then they might never recover from that. Yeah. And also in Valorant's case, it was a common pain point of players of the genre. If you played tactical shooters, you were probably negatively impacted by cheating at some point. So you could make it a product pillar to say, hey, we're going to be really good at this. A game that I've been working on that's actually coming out really soon, in fact, probably shouted out right, right at the end, uh, Omega Strikers. We've done a fair bit of anti-cheat work for that because it's a competitive game, but not a, a Valorant level of anti-cheat for that game. And part of the reason is, is we'll see what happens. Like we believe that the risk of cheating in this game is relatively low compared to something like Valorant. And so 
we will have an opportunity to react to it. If things get out of control, we will right. we'll be ready. Like we've been preparing ahead of time and we'll be able to respond both with process technology, but also communications to players before it's like done damage we couldn't, couldn't recover from. That also speaks to the idea of prioritization. And, you know, this podcast goes out to game dev leaders and producers and whatnot. And the reality is there's a million of these variables out there around, oh, how good is your, your net code? How good is your anti-cheat? How good is a million things, the game itself, right? All these different things. And each of them takes investment of resources and people to attempt to solve. Yeah, anti-cheat is in service of your product goals. So if, if you find that adding anti-cheat to your project is instead compromising your vision for the product, then you've probably done too much of it. Like if you're like, hey, we're cutting essential features from our game for anti-cheat reasons, you're like, no, anti-cheat is to serve the product vision, not the other way around. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I think one of the first things that came up for me when we decided to do this podcast was like questions that I didn't expect to ask myself, like what is cheating? You know what I mean? Like that's actually not as straightforward a question or an answer as it might seem, right? And there's a whole separate conversation about exploits and what falls under the category of an exploit and what is sort of above board and or below board about using an exploit. Right. But I played CalI for a season and like I, you know, when we'd practice with the team, like one of the things we had practiced was like animation canceling. Like it was really, really important. Like, and you were literally exploiting the this weird esoteric crap within the game to try to get an advantage over your opponent. And so, you know, again, is that cheating? As I think about it as a as a game developer, and then I try to imagine myself as like a layman or a player, it's like this is such a broad topic to even like understand what does cheating even mean? So if it was an easy question, I, I wish I, I just had an answer for you. I mean, we can come up with an, a boundary for, for today, no problem. But uh, when I worked on League of Legends and Valorant, we spent a lot of time discussing what constituted cheating. Mm. And it turned out to largely be a spectrum because all the way from exploiting bugs or up to tools that automate some of the game for you all the way up to things that pull the game apart and let you do things that are otherwise impossible could be cheating. Or like, for example, League of Legends, you could install third-party mods that would unlock skins for you for free, like skin hacks, they're, they're called. And like, that's very concerning to Riot because that's a huge revenue source of selling these. But is it cheating? Well, it doesn't impact competitive integrity so not really mm. but is still an undesired behavior that anti-cheat tools can help you mitigate and the same with like what's an accessibility tool versus what's a cheating tool yeah if i can't bunny hop because i just have a, a mobility limitation where i can't hit the space bar at a consistent rhythm is it cheating for me to use a third-party tool that can just Macros press space but yeah it's just a macro tool oh wow I've never even thought about that. That's a really interesting point. And like, that's a very simplistic example. But for example, in Fortnite, which is primarily played on, on consoles, I mean, also PC, but there's a huge console scene. There's a lot of question about what third party peripherals considered mm -hmm. legitimate, because a lot of them have basically macro capabilities where you can program a bunch of yeah. automated 
button press combinations. Actually, Blizzard with WoW, uh, with all of these sort of raid assistant yep. kind yep. of tools and stuff, had a trouble. They had to like really mm -hmm. analyze that and go into it and be like, what is a bridge too far? Yeah. Actually, for, for people who are interested in this, there's a YouTube video by Dan Olson. I think his channel is called Folding Ideas, called why it's rude to suck at Warcraft. <laughs> and it basically goes into this discussion of like, if you're raiding competitively in World of Warcraft, is it rude to just not have every single add-on? Like, if you just turned up to a raiding guild in World of Warcraft with no add-ons, are you like bad manners? Is this a BM? Mm. Are you throwing? Yeah. Well, that was, you would require people yeah, in the would. guild. You'd be like, yep. hey, you all have to be on Deadly Boss Mods version blah, right? Like, because that's what we're going to be playing on, and we don't want you to be the person who doesn't hear the tone or whatever. Yeah, imagine being a healer that turns up without any assist mods for helping you, you know, yeah. keep your heals per second up and targeting the right people. Like, And this was something that we were talking about a lot when we were developing Valorant, is like, how can we make it so that the competitive experience for Valorant is the default experience so that the people playing the game at the highest level are playing it the same way as everyone else. And mm -hmm. that's kind of one of the philosophies we brought to this line to get back to your question of like, what is cheating? And for many of the games I've worked on, it's any tool, any external non-default thing that gives you a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. The other problem, though, is that the developers don't want to be in the business of ruling individual pieces of software or individual techniques in or out. Mm -hmm. Because if you start doing that, it's like anything that you didn't specifically say is, is banned could be considered permitted. Yeah. And in some ways, that's just not the best place to spend your your attention when you're looking for anti-cheat, you should sort of zoom out and start with a, why do we need anti-cheat? And also like, what product goals does it serve? And then sort of use that to like, figure out what's best for your actual game. Because it's very easy to be like, oh, okay, Fortnite uses easy anti-cheat. Easy anti-cheat is a commercial product that you could just buy. Okay, we've got a cheating problem. We're just going to buy easy anti-cheat software, we'll put it on our game, we're good. It'll help, but unless you understand what you're trying to achieve and what your problem actually is, it might not be the right solution. Yeah. And unfortunately, there's not a lot of expertise in anti-cheat in most game studios. So if you do suddenly find yourself with a cheating problem, the first thing you're going to reach for is like, is there a standard solution? And if you research well, what is a standard solution for anti-cheat, you'll get things like, Easy anti-cheat, Battle-Eye, Denuvo. And you'll just be like, oh, well, we buy that, we put it on the game, and we're good to go. But what if your cheat is someone pointing a camera at the game? What if you're actually, your cheat is you're a poker game and people are colluding? It's very unlikely that something like Easy Anti-Cheat will help you if your problem is colluding players. There's a takeaway here which is really interesting, and I think... I know you've alluded to before, which is this idea that there's sort of a, a graceful marriage between the sort of goal of reducing cheating and understanding what the product is. Because if you ever assume that cheating is sort of like this generic bucket, this is kind of my takeaway from what you're saying, and you apply a generic solution to it, it's unlikely to really have the impact that you would like. And also, given that anti-cheat expertise isn't ubiquitous in our industry, 
you're very likely to even misunderstand what cheating means in your context if you don't have that conversation. Yeah, so it, it should all begin with a understanding of the product, the game that you're making, and where it could go wrong. For example, in PvE MMO games, there's still a bunch of cheating, but usually to break the economy, whether it's automated, right. game plays itself and farms for you, or whether it's exploits like, hey, I'm going to abuse an RNG mechanic so that my random loot's always the best or wh whatever. And those might still be very important to your game and need anti-cheat attention. But that's very different than, say, you were running an online chess ladder, like competitive chess online. You're like, you have competitive integrity concerns there, but they're most likely going to look like people colluding for win trading or people not being who they say they are and like bringing in ringers or mm -hmm. uh, using computer chess AI engines. And like those are very different to, I have a bot that mines for me in Ultima Online. Or, but it will look different again to something like Valorant, where it's a fast-paced action game where the skill execution is very important because of the high lethality of the shooting. So you'll have a different type of cheat there. One of the examples I really like to use is in the game Among Us. Very popular, blew up. It's a multiplayer game. It's PvP. For a long time, there was a lot of cheats available. But I didn't do a lot to sort of damage the growth of the game, as far as I can tell, because of the way that you play Among Us, which is usually you're in a lobby, mostly with people you know or people you're getting to know. And if one of them cheats or even if you just suspect them of cheating, even if they're not cheating, or if you just don't like them very much, you just stop playing with them. You can and slander them on Facebook. Exactly. In front of their friends and family. Yeah, you could be like, hey, this person wins too much. We're not going to play with them anymore. Like, they might not have even been cheating, but like... Right, yeah. But games like League of Legends or Fortnite or like many free-to-play competitive games that use matchmaking systems, you don't have that option of being like, I don't want to play with that person because I think they're cheating. And so really, like in Among Us's case, they did add some anti-cheat tech and made some improvements that made it much harder to cheat. But I could understand why it wasn't like a huge priority for them because of the way that their game works and was designed and their product strategy it didn't rely on players having a high amount of trust in the integrity of the experience. While something like uh, Valorant, highly competitive game, esports, if people lose trust in the fairness of the game, it will undermine the entire uh, game product because you, yeah. you need people to want to spend time getting good in the game. You need a population of people queuing up for matchmaking and you need everyone to have have a good time and all of that's undermined if there are cheaters or even just an appearance of it being unfair one of the reasons i reached out to you was because i saw some videos there was if you're familiar with tarkov escape from tarkov extraction shooter extraction shooters not in the same way of valorant but they certainly have the same sort of desire for competitive integrity because there's a lot of people and they're all trying to achieve different objectives on the map and there was a video that came out the wiggle that killed tarkov and was really interesting because someone basically said that a very high percentage of the games, they were able to identify somebody else who was cheating. So basically they built a throwaway account, they would only run around with a knife, but they were just like exploring the concept of cheating. Because Tarkov is a game that is so punishing, death is so punishing in a game like that. 
that if I think that there's a decent chance I'm going to die to cheating, why would I keep doing this? So then Battlestate started banning a ton of people. But I think when you count up all the bans that they've had, it's close to 40,000 people that they've banned. And now you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's probably an average of, you know, what, 10 people in any given raid. What, how big is this player base? That is a classic anti-cheat problem of we want everyone to know that we're doing something about cheaters. But if we say the numbers, are we just going to put it in people's head that there's a lot of cheaters? Like you're like, hey, we banned 100,000 cheaters. Some players will be like, oh, wow, look, they're doing a great job. They take this seriously. Look at how many cheaters they banned. And other players are going to be like, there was that many cheaters to ban? There must be more. There's cheaters everywhere. And extraction shooters are kind of like the new hard mode for anti-cheat. Like I thought working on Valorant that a tactical shooter was going to be sort of the pinnacle of difficulty for anti-cheat programs. But extraction shooters as a genre take a lot of the same combat mechanics and then graft it with a persistent economy that's like the entire progression system. And so now you have like the MMO like style hey, we cheat because we want to accelerate our progression through a resource system. But the way that manifests is through uh, first-person shooter-style wall hacks, aimbots, etc. in a highly lethal environment. So yeah, it's a tough time to be making an extraction shooter. I mean, it was similar to Battle Royales before, where high lethality shooting gameplay with the additional wrinkle of if you have 100 people in a match your chances of any given match having a cheater in it is going to be much higher than a game that has three, six, ten players. Because imagine a world where 1% of your players are cheating. If it's evenly distributed across play sessions, then your battle royale with 100 player sessions is going to have on average one cheater per, per session. And in a game like PUBG, the one cheater is very likely to win. And like that means that almost every player in your game is going to be negatively impacted by a cheater, even if the number of cheaters in your population is quite low. I say quite low, but 1% would be very high. If your game has 1% of its players cheating, that's like sort of crisis level for a lot of games. I mean, depends again on the game. Because imagine a 5v5 MOBA. If 1% of your players are cheating, that might mean like, if they were evenly distributed, that would be one in 10 games you'd see a cheater, which is like pretty bad. But you've got to remember that we're talking about matchmaking systems with like using skill-based matchmaking. Yep. And if your cheat makes you better at the game, then you'll congregate in the higher end of the skill brackets. And so it will get to the point where even with, say, a 1% cheater population, it might be that 10% of your top tier of players are cheating. And they're the ones that are on Twitch. Yeah, exactly. On Twitch, on Reddit, the the ones that who are the opinion makers. So like that would be sort of existential. It really shows how the competitive integrity discussion goes far beyond the idea of cheating. Mm -hmm. But it's that trust again is yeah. sort of such a delicate thing that you're always kind of trying to balance, you know? So... When I first started thinking of anti-cheat this way, it was actually after something that we did on League of Legends in 2014. So we created sort of the first anti-cheat team for League of Legends in sort of late 2013, early 2014. And we changed a whole bunch of the game's net code. We just changed sort of the networking layer of the game. And at the time, that's how the vast majority of cheats used it worked, was that they 
they would communicate to the server on the behalf of the client. They would send packets to the server that did things. Yep. And so we just changed entirely how that worked, not just for anti-cheat reasons, but for like a bunch of other technical reasons. And so there was a period where that patch went live where we were very confident that there was almost no cheating in League of Legends. Like League of Legends always had like really good, like a low level of cheating for a bunch of bunch of technical reasons that turned out were accidents, but like great tech choices in hindsight. But we knew that we had created it for this one patch. All like the the three biggest cheats just went completely offline and most of the small ones too. During that that two week patch, player reports for cheating went way up. So like in a world where we we would have rounded the amount of cheating in League of Legends to zero for this two week period, players disagreed. Players thought that there was more cheating. And that was kind of like the first moment where I was like, wait a minute, this isn't a technical problem. We, for a brief moment in time, we had the technical solution that was preventing cheating, but it didn't solve the product problem, which was players don't feel the game is fair. And like, you can't really just get on on Twitter or Reddit and say, hey, I'm a developer at Riot Games. We just fixed old cheating. Believe us, because like, <laughs> It's not because reasons. Yeah. Well, let me let me pivot us to the next phase of this conversation yeah. because like I really want to start talking about because I mean we're we're in a very luxurious position to have one of the leading experts here on this and like I want to ask the question like what are the main ways that companies can battle this problem or make progress on this problem because what you just said popped something up for me which is I would imagine if the problem itself is not purely technical that would imply that perhaps the solutions are not always technical as well. There, there are processes, not just code to write. Uh, yeah, or I don't even know this. I'm super curious, but like one of the things I remember talking to folks about at Riot was sort of the hacking, like literal hacking and, and malicious, like beyond the context of just cheating, but malicious technical attacks on the product or on Riot itself. And one of the things that's interesting is like a lot of companies nowadays are like working with like white hats and like there's so there's like this sort of social engineering aspect of the problem as well. So I'm actually wondering like what comes up for you as sort of the major areas that you attack this problem strategically when you see this come up. So the first thing to do is to understand your product and where it might be vulnerable to these kinds of things. Like do you have an in-game economy? Do you have a real competitive player versus player environment? What do your progression systems feel like to players? Do they wish that they were faster? And what lengths would they go to to make that happen? Once you've kind of figured that out, you can start, well, first of all, you can just start by talking to your your engineers and designers that are responsible for those systems and say, hey, what can we do here? Because sometimes it could be as simple as we tweak the economy value so that it feels more generous or hey, we make it so that dying in PvP isn't as huge a progression sink. And those might not be appropriate for your game. Like an extraction shooter is about it being harsh when you die. But you might just find that, like, for example, if you're making a CCG, you're making a card game, it's Legends of Runeterra, Hearthstone, something like that. You might, in your design phase, be like, hey, we wanna, want players to trade cards. Like this is a staple of paper collectible card games. You trade with people. And from an like 
anti-cheat perspective, this would create a whole bunch of new avenues for bad behavior. Like suddenly, if I can trade with people, then there's going to be a black market economy. Someone will PayPal me, like Venmo me five bucks and I'll give them a card. Or there'll be scam bots where I will trick people into giving me their cards or good deals or even just hack them. I'll send them a link that like fishes their password so I can can do that. And you might be able to go to your design team and say, hey, how important is player-to-player trading in this game? And they, they might say, oh, we think it would be fun, but it's not actually that important. And you'll be like, great, can we cut it? Because then we don't have to worry about all these other problems. Mm-hmm. But even if they say, absolutely not, we need trading, where uh, this is the vital player fantasy is it's a collecting fantasy rather than a competitive fantasy, you're like, okay, well, then you just know that that's going to be one of the pain points where you, you've got to pay more attention. And so the first thing you can do is measure things. Do you have the telemetry in your game to know what players have in their inventory? Like what cards have they unlocked? What trading activity has happened? Do you have a model of what is normal and what is not normal? Like you're like, hey, this account has four hours of playtime. They shouldn't have every single card in the game. Things like that where you can at least measure the problem that you're having. So that the first time something weird happens, you may may have seen it in your data before you saw it in your community. Or if your community is like, hey, something scammy is going, going on. Like a guy just sent me a DM with a really weird link. And then you can follow up with an investigation and being like, oh, okay, well, let's see if we can find a pattern of behavior. This is both for like your first type of anti-cheat, like the in some ways the best kind of anti-cheat you can have is using your knowledge of the game because you're the people who make and operate the game to find abnormal behavior. Yeah. Like rootkits, uh, you know, kernel level anti-cheat's great for some things, but if you can just have some razor that's like people who own this many cards are cheating and this People who own less than this are not cheating. Like, your game probably doesn't have that. That's very rare. But just the closer you can get to that, the closer you are to understanding the size of the problem, but also your first steps towards fixing it. Like a real old school League of Legends example. Like you were talking about real hacking. Uh, One of the things people were doing for a while in League of Legends was doing denial of service attacks against the game server they were connected to. They would do this anytime they were losing a match. Because what would happen is if you did a denial of service attack against the server, everyone would disconnect and the game server would shut down. It would be like all my players went away. Like I'm I'm not obviously not useful because all 10 players have left, so I'm going to shut down. And that wouldn't get recorded as a win or a loss. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, that's a pretty technical attack. Turns out the way you defeat that attack is if you really expensive networking infrastructure, but if you don't want to do that, Look for players that have suspiciously high win rates. Mm -hmm. Because if if someone is in a matchmaking system and they're winning 80% of their games, it might be because they're doing denial of service attacks against like any game that they're losing. Right. That kind of thing is really helpful. Like once you've identified what systems, what parts of your game might be susceptible to cheating, the next step is measuring those things. Then you might you might be able to just take corrective action at that point. You're like, oh, we can detect people who are doing bad things. We're going to punish their accounts. 
or that might lead you to the next step, which is technical controls. And this is where you you figure out, well, how are they cheating? You're like, okay, well, they've figured out a money duplication glitch. Okay, is it is it something we have to fix in our code? Right. And really, like, you don't need to jump straight to, hey, we need we need to go license some technology here. You should probably instead get there through a process of understanding the the problem you actually have and slowly marching towards a we understand the problem, we understand how it's happening, now we can do something about it. For certain types of games, you can just sort of jump to the end. Like if you're making a shooter, you're like, okay, well, aimbots and wall hacks are very common in shooters. I would probably go, well, I'm just going to put easy anti-cheat on it preemptively because I know that in these types of games have these types of problems. And internally, like um, operations teams are very important for anti-cheat. They're the people who review the reports of cheating from players, but they also look at the data that comes out of your anti-cheat tools. They're also the people that do the investigations of what cheats are available in the market, but they can also help you track down who's making and selling these cheats. It also turns out it's a very cutthroat industry. And one of the best ways to find out who's making a certain cheat is to ask their competitors. It's like, hey, do you know who who makes this cheat? They probably won't tell you if you're like, hello, my name is Riot Games. Cool. And then, Paul, anything you want to plug? Where should people go to find out more about you? Yeah, so for now, I am still on Twitter. I'm at Arkham, A-R-K-E-M on Twitter. I run a game studio called New Avalon. You can follow us on uh, Twitter again at New Avalon Games. More uh, recently, I've been working on a game called Omega Strikers from Odyssey Interactive. It's launching April 27th on all platforms. If you like competitive air hockey with anime characters, uh, we've got you covered. It's going to be great. You can find it phone, PC, or console. We will put all those in the show notes as well as the Dan Olson video that we referred to earlier. So expect to see those there if you want to see them. All right. So thanks, everybody, for joining us today. I want to quickly go over a summary of the awesome things we talked about with Paul today related to cheating and anti-cheat. So keep these five things in mind as you consider the role of cheating and combating cheating in your game. Number one, understand your product goals as the first step towards an effective anti-cheat strategy. Number two, cheating is going to happen. The question is not how to prevent it entirely, but how to mitigate the negative impacts on your players and game. Number three, anti-cheat isn't just about using technology and tools. It could also be about game mechanics, economy, general design, or even parties outside of direct game development like we talked about legal, etc. Number four, the definition of cheating may not be as obvious as you think. You have to talk with your team about what it means to cheat in your game and how you want to address it. Number five, understand what telemetry or visibility in your game is required so that you can determine the difference between acceptable and unacceptable behavior. Did you enjoy this content? Every two weeks, we will deliver one actionable step that will increase your chances of delivering a successful game. 
straight to your inbox. Join game developers across the world and sign up for the Building Better Games newsletter at www.buildingbettergames.gg newsletter. Again, that's www.buildingbettergames.gg forward slash newsletter. And that will also be in the show notes. Thanks everyone for listening. 